0: It is Tuesday January the 10th 2023 it's episode 71 of tone the slab pitching with David Cohn where we talk pitching every single week we do it with the five time world champion David Cohn James Smythe is here along with myself Justin Shackle producer Dan Rourke also with us we have a lot to get to here this week we're going to be focusing on some pitching storylines in the National League with the Dodgers the Phillies made a big trade for their bullpen. We'll also get into uh, the recent additions to the baseball operations department for the New York Yankees. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? How do you pass the time on your weekends in the month of January?
1: You know what? The countdown's on, right? I mean, when you get past the new year, you start looking at spring training. When do we have to go to Tampa? When's the first spring training game? When's the first Yes Network game? You know, those sorts of things are like right around the corner. So let's go. I mean, the countdown's on.
2: The NFL playoffs can only get us so far, so that that that's great in January, getting to the favor. Then once you get past the Super Bowl, it's like, all right, now we can start baseball.
0: So David, you're you're spending your weekend like at the table mapping out your 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 <laughs> schedule, your calendar here, what?
1: You're trying to figure out the schedule, that's for sure. Certainly on, on the Sunday night schedule with ESPN, trying to figure out the travel schedule and trying to mesh that with a Yes Network schedule. So yeah, that that does take up some time. But you know, I, I have always got one eye on Patrick Mahomes because that's my guy. You know, I'm a Kansas City native, Kansas City Chiefs fan, and Mahomes is just a magician. You know, what he's done over the last four or five years there in Kansas City, the run they've had is just nothing short of remarkable. They're fun to watch. They've got their flaws. You know, the Chiefs, like every team, no team's perfect, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens uh, throughout the playoffs with Patrick Mahomes and what he does.
0: I'm not going to pretend like I've been fully invested in the, uh, the football season this year. I have not watched a single full game of nfl action this season so um excited for the postseason provide because that trend's probably going to change uh in the month of january because the nfl playoff football is superb but yeah it hasn't been the the biggest football uh watching season for me at least but uh patrick mahomes is the kind of guy where like david everything you said i'm gonna obviously take your word for it because he is an all-world mm-hmm. talent for sure uh all right uh the, the topics to get to earlier uh that like we mentioned at the at the start of this show but we always begin every single episode with the opener. David, what do you have for us this week?
1: Well, I I you know on on a sad note and and a supportive note. Uh you know, this is a shout out to Liam Hendricks, the the veteran le- reliever of the White Sox, all-star reliever, great short guy. Um he's pre uh, announced that he's been uh, diagnosed with uh non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he's going to be treated for cancer. And it's uh, devastating news for him and his family. He and his wife are so involved in the Chicago area off the field. One of the real good guys in this game from Australia uh, was nominated for the Roberto Clemente Award. Uh, So, yes, uh, he deserves uh, the support of the entire community right now, the baseball world. Uh, Shout-out goes to Liam Hendricks. We wish wish him well in his treatment for cancer at this point.
0: Yeah, just a uh, tough thing to see uh you know he announced this on Sunday he is going to be beginning treatment on uh Monday the day we are recording this uh Jan- January the 9th so best wishes go out to him um non-hodgkin's lymphoma thankfully one of the you know most treatable cancers that that is out there uh, according to the American Cancer Society the survival rate for at least 5 years post diagnosis is o- over 70% it accounts for about 4% of, of all cancers, obviously just something tough to, uh, tough to see. But, uh, like you said, you think, I think you hit all, all the points there, David, we, uh, we wish Liam and his family all the best as he begins this journey here and, uh, baseball's the furthest thing, uh, you know, that should be on the mind for, uh, for everyone involved with, with Liam, uh, we wish him the best here as he begins this fight. Um, Speaking of relievers, uh, we have, again, that trade that we were talking about that happened late last week over the weekend between the Phillies and the the Tigers with Gregory Soto. We're going to get at that in a moment. Um, Let's start with what the Dodgers did back on Friday because it was January the 6th, which was the deadline for them to decide what they would be doing with Trevor Bauer. We talked about it last episode, whether they would release Bauer, retain him, what would be next for Bauer? Let's focus on the Dodgers here. um No secret that LA is is trying to reset the luxury tax this offseason. They haven't been big big spenders. They haven't been involved with some of the big name free agents. When it comes to their pitching activity this offseason, they did some activity. They they re-signed Clayton Kershaw, but they also added Noah Syndergaard. They added Shelby Miller as well. I'm wondering what questions does this pitching staff have with about a month to go before spring training?
1: Well, I I think it's that sort of a year, and and we've seen this with the Yankees a a few years ago, where really the the primary uh, uh, objective is to stay under the luxury tax, reset the luxury tax. Now the Dodgers, as far as that goes, have been over the luxury tax by leaps and bounds for several years now. So they're going to try to hit the reset button, and they're in a they're in a, in a good position to do so because of their farm system. So it's time to really if you look at the Dodgers you're evaluating their farm system. They're going to get a look at a lot of their young players. A lot of those young pitchers, young position players are going to get a chance finally and and the Dodgers really have been the envy of the industry because of that. Both they, they can sign free agents, they can make big trades, they can go get a mookie bets. They can re-sign their own free agents like Clayton Kershaw, but then they also have a big farm system that keeps feeding them. So now it's time to really take stock in the farm system with the Dodgers. I, I don't see them going over the luxury tax unless it's really absolutely, you know, a game changer, a needle mover, as they say. But I think this is the year they really do try to hit the reset button, much like the Yankees did a few years ago.
2: You bring up the reset button. Uh, their reset is a pretty high floor. So they, we think about where they're coming from. Last year, they won 111 games. They allowed the fewest runs in the major leagues. Their rotation had a 2.75 ERA, best in the majors. Their bullpen had a 2.87 ERA, second best in the majors to Houston, best in the National League. They always make it work. So you got to figure until they show that they take a big step back, I'm going to trust them.
0: That's the perfect sentiment. Like until a team like that proves they can't do it, there's no reason to believe that they shouldn't. But I think they're also going to have to lean into some of the younger arms on their pitching staff. We're we're seeing the changing of the guard in the positional department, like David was mentioned. But when you take a look at names like uh, Michael Grove, Ryan Peppio, guys we saw late last season, you're probably going to be asking them to contribute impact innings at the back of the starting rotation and again I truly believe like until they prove otherwise you have to believe in them at the same time I'm like okay you factor in the youthful arms that are you know you need those contributions from and then in the front end a lot of health concerns at the front end with Kershaw with Syndergaard uh, with with you throw him in there as well Dustin May, Dustin May. yeah I mean they're, they're they're all there so if you were going to try and formulate I like obviously they make it work like James said they find a way to get it done but if you could try and map out a route how they're going to do it who's going to have to be leaned on and who's going to have to step up you think
1: Oh, that—that that is the question. I think you're going to have to lean on the young guys, you know, and bear in mind, too, that the Dodgers system was pretty loaded. And the, in fact, that they gave up one of their top pitching prospects to the Yankees. Uh, Clayton Beater uh, is one of their top big right-handed power guys that they gave up in the Joey Gallo trade last summer. So... They're pretty loaded and some of the names you haven't heard of. Some of the names are on the move in their minor league system. You mentioned Pepeo. Some of the guys that have gotten a cup of coffee or that have gotten their feet wet in the big leagues. I mean, that's really what it's going to be. As you said, I mean, you have to expect that there's going to be some injuries. Clayton Kershaw might give you 25 starts. He might give you 120 to 150 innings. Yeah. Gonsolin, the same thing. I mean, that that's sort of the bar that's been set. It's a little lower. 150 innings is what 200 innings used to be, and that's why James Smythe has been all over the the sort of qualifier. Uh, without getting into it, I don't want to set James off on on a tangent here, but he's exactly right. I mean, the qualifier is much lower nowadays. 150 innings is the new 200 innings.
2: Many hands make light work. Uh, a um, filling in all the extra innings, you know, en masse. But you look at someone like Ryan Pepio who's got a great fastball change combo. He can take on a little more of a role. You think of someone like Bobby Miller, who's one of the higher, more highly touted uh, pitching prospects. He's probably more of a double-A guy, so maybe he's somebody that can you know, compare shooting in late in the season if he's having a good year in the minors. But I feel like the Dodgers are – there are some question marks, but I feel like they're well-equipped to take on the workload. Do these question marks warrant –
0: me to ask you guys this. Is this maybe the first time in nearly a decade that the Dodgers are not the preseason favorites to win the NL West?
1: I mean, it's a question, yes. I mean, it's a valid, valid question at this point for all the reasons that you brought up, Shaq. That you know, the depth of their pitching staff. How are they gonna piece it together? How good are their young prospects? The health of the overall staff, but they still have Mookie bets and freddie freeman at the top of their order they still have probably still the best top of the order of anybody in the game right now or certainly at or near the top so you still expect them to to play really well i think the thing about the dodgers was in watching them in recent years they had athletes all over the field they did a lot of things well they played good defense they ran the bases well Uh, they hit for average they had a high on base percentage they had some pop in their lineup They really just sort of did everything They kind of everything across the board, baseball players across the board and athletes all over the field. I think that's what I think of when I think about the Dodgers is, is, uh, you know, even though they faltered in the playoffs last year, even though they fell short of of what uh, of closing the deal, what they thought they were going to do with that amazing regular season. They still have athletes everywhere. And that's what I think of when I think about the Dodgers.
2: It's closer. The Padres are a beast. I get it. At the same time, the Dodgers won the NL West last year by 22 games. So they have a bit of a cushion in that regard to me.
0: I may have missed it. I'm not sure. But I don't believe the three of us even uttered their name Julio Arias during this conversation. Yeah,
1: no. Yeah. So, well, we were
2: talking about guys with, <clears throat> with more uh, health concerns. And right, you know, he was uh, it's almost like he's a given. Exactly. In the, uh, in the Dodger
0: rotation. Coming off a a career year, another fantastic season, and he is uh, at the top of the Dodger rotation right now. So he's also um, going to be a free agent after this upcoming season, which leads me to this question here, guys. Which National League starting pitcher could receive an extension first? Will it be Arias? Could it be Max Freed? Who we discussed a couple of weeks ago with his situation in Atlanta, or Logan Webb, who won't be a free agent until mm. after 2025. But the Giants apparently have a lot of cash to spend because they they weren't able to convert here through the uh, free agent market this off season. So will it be Arias, again free agent after this <clears throat> season, Max Freed free agent uh, after the 2024 season, or or Webb a free agent after 2025? Who do you have?
1: Well, judging by the, the Atlanta blueprint, the Braves, the way they go about it, and Alex Anthopoulos, you would, you'd probably think Max Fried would be at the top of the list, although we don't know whether uh, he's willing to roll the dice or not because he is that good. He, and if he does wait it out, he could he could be at the top of the heap in terms of uh, maximizing his value. So that's the question with Max Fried. Does Does he have that interest in him to be able to maximize his value and play the string out, or will he – want to fall in line with the rest of the braves down there and try to be part of something where they can win for a lot of years in a row and buy into that atlanta braves uh methodology down there um the the other guy that i think is interesting to me and you mentioned you know arias if i were the dodgers i'd look at him he's got that id factor Uh, maybe maybe he doesn't light up the spin rate or the metrics or the radar guns but he, he really does have the guts out on the mound uh that, that just that aggressiveness that that really sets him apart that mindset that's hard to quantify uh that that scouts love when you look at uh areas and as you mentioned i'm glad you brought him up you know he he's a he's a difference maker because of his attitude and his presence on the mound so yeah uh, i don't think the, the giants probably are ready for logan webb just yet they're they're, you know, they're really smart the way they run their team. So I think maybe they probably try to wait just a little longer, especially with the health of pitchers and maybe trying to to to, to see what kind of a year he has this year. So, you know, I'm not sure that he's the candidate as of yet. But if I'm the Dodgers, I'm looking at Urias yeah, and, and, and maybe trying to get something done, especially considering, you know, the age on Kershaw, how much more time he has left and who's going to lead that staff, especially if you're going with a lot of younger guys that are moving up through the system.
2: I love that question with the the step ladder nature of it because Urias has one year until free agency, Max Fried has two, and then Logan Webb has three. That's why I'm gonna I for this question I'll, I'll go with Webb um, because he's furthest from free agency. I think Urias, if there was a time to do it, it would have been you know a, a year or two ago. I feel like he's already close enough to free agency where that 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 door is knocking right there, and <laughs> you say okay, he's close enough where he can roll the dice similar with freed maybe he signs an extension but two years from free agency he's already made this far maybe he rolls the dice web is a little further away so i guess i'll go with him
0: i think the from, from the giants team perspective i think there's probably little sense in i don't want to call it rushing but they have some they have some wiggle room you know basically say hey logan show us again in in 2023 and then maybe we could talk i think it i think it would be freed um, mainly because of the track record the Braves have built with with giving out their contract extensions. But Arias makes me think this. Uh, we, we were talking about the objective for the Dodgers this offseason, kind of resetting the the number with their payroll. Like, David, from a player's perspective, maybe the Dodgers generally want to do a long-term deal with Julio Arias, but their their message to him right now is, hey, like, We're, we're obviously trying to do something financially with, with our payroll at the moment, at the end of the off, at the end of the regular season or postseason, you're going to be our first priority. We want to keep you, we want to have you here long-term. Like does a player though, even want to hear that or is it just business being business and Hey, I'm going to be a free agent. I'm open to all the suitors or do they have an understanding of what the team is trying to do at that financial level?
1: That's a, that's a great point and well said. And, and James is right. You know, he's so close to free agency. And if, if I'm his agent, you're saying, hey, just put up big numbers, you know, and follow the Aaron Judge model here. I mean, Aaron Judge, if you're looking for inspiration, look at Aaron Judge, you know, the the ultimate big play and bet on yourself season so it is interesting there's a way to structure the contract though and backload it a little bit and kind of still wiggle structurally and keep under the luxury tax this year but it's a valid point maybe that's what the Dodgers are thinking as well maybe they're they're relating that to his agent that yes that that there's you know have a big year we're there at the end and we'll be there for you but yeah I mean you, you can still come up with a structure if you really want to lock this guy up now and keep him from the other The other 29 teams bidding on him. There's a way to structure that contract and avoid that scenario if you can. So, if I'm a free agent nowadays, I mean, it worked for Aaron Judge. I'm hey, call my agent anytime. I'm not putting deadlines down there. Aaron Judge put the deadline and it worked good for him last spring training. And you you put the onus on the Yankees. If I'm if I'm Julio Urias right now, I'm like, hey, call my agent anytime you want. You know, I'm gonna go out and pitch. Don't talk to me. Talk to my agent. You know, we're open for business anytime you want.
2: He's still so young. Uh, this is you know, looking at it, he's 26. So if he goes through this season and enters free agency on schedule, he's gonna be going into his age 27 season after finishing seventh in the Cy Young voting and leading the league in wins with 20 in 2021. And then last year, finishing third in the Cy Young and leading the NL with a 216 ERA. Fantastic pitcher. It's
0: a lot of talk early on this episode about the Dodgers who had the most pressure on them entering the uh the postseason after a 111 win campaign conversely the Philadelphia Phillies didn't have too much pressure on them in the postseason yet they go on to win the pennant uh before ultimately falling to the Astros and the Phillies are making moves to be better in 2023 they completed a trade with the Tigers where they received two-time all-star reliever Gregory Soto and Cody Clemens, uh, an infielder that uh, made his big league debut last season for Detroit. They were traded to Philadelphia in exchange for Matt Beerling, Nick Maton, and Donnie Sands. Uh, Soto's the centerpiece in terms of the here and now. And he joins a bullpen that has also added Craig Kimbrel this offseason and Matt Strom. Are we completely past the days where the Phillies bullpen is like the butt of every relief pitching joke. Are we past that era guys?
1: This this goes, yeah, this goes a long way. Yeah, you're right. It is still wait and see, but this one goes a long way. It's a move. We discussed this. I think our last podcast, Uh, you know, I picked the Phillies as the team that needs to add to their pitching. Dave Dombrowski's all in you signed Trey Turner. Yes. This was the move that the Phillies had to make and it's a great matchup. It's one of those old matchups where the Tigers need bats. They need young position players, and they got at least two out of it. Donnie Sands is the former Yankee farmhand that was. It's got a, got a strong bat, but it kind of doesn't have a position. He you know, was kind of a catcher at some point. Still, is, I can't list it as a part time catcher, but that's not his calling card. He's got some pop in his bat. But the other two guys are potential everyday position players for the Tigers. Exactly what they need. Soto's exactly what the Phillies need. It's a perfect matchup. Those are the kind of trades you love to see, where you know the weaknesses are matched up and uh you know and, and the trade is made dombrowski's not messing around soto was the guy they absolutely had to have because if kimbrough's not Kembro anymore then you've got soto soto can be a short guy he's a left-handed guy who throws 100 miles an hour you know with great stuff and guts on the mound he's the perfect fit for the philly bullpen at the back end i like the trade a lot
2: uh soto's a terrific pitcher he was one of these guys you know the the closers on a bad team, a lot of times they can be toiling in, in obscurity. Sometimes it overrates a guy because it you know he, he gets a big shiny save total uh, on a bad team. But he's a good one. Uh, his strikeout rate dipped a little bit in twenty twenty two, but he cut his walk rate as well. So he's a he's a quality piece to add. And uh, and Matt Strom's a good one too. He had he had an above mm-hmm. average season um, with the Red Sox uh, last year. Another uh, quality reliever on a bad team who's who's going to Philly. So. You look at their depth chart I pulled up uh you know, roster resource on fan graphs. They, uh, who are the guys in the mix at the, at the end of games, uh, for the Phillies, Alvarado Soto, Craig Kimbrell, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Andrew Bellotti, Matt Strom, Connor Brogdon, and Nick Nelson. So they, it, it's a, it's a it looks like a better group now that they made a few additions, right?
0: Like how often did we try and scratch your head and wonder who was going to be the guy at the very end of ball games for the Phillies. Now you just rattled off at least in my opinion, like three or four names that you could potentially close out games uh, for the Phillies. But you mentioned one in Jose Alvarado. And I'm wondering this because David, you talk a lot about having the variety on your pitching staff. What is the, the similarity between a guy like Soto and Alvarado now, and how are they different?
1: Well, both have power arms, that's for sure. But Alvarado's more of of a two seam guy, a movement guy. So, uh, even though he can miss bats, uh, he's more of a keep the ball on the ground in Philadelphia, which is you know the ball carries in Philly pretty well at in their home ballpark. Uh, Soto's more of a power guy. He's a gas four seam guy, with 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 good off speed to go with it. But he's guy he's a guy that's going to challenge you more up in the zone. He's probably more of a swing and a miss guy than Alvarado is. Although you got two of the premier left-handed power relievers in the game right there. Both of them are regularly in the upper nineties with their fastball. They complement each other because of the movement. One has movement. One has riding action. So, you know, I, I like that combination. I like the fact that you have different looks. I like guys who can ride it, who can sink it, who give hitters fits on what to look for release points, diversity. I think it's a big deal. It's an underrated facet. I think the Phillies added to that with Soto.
2: I mentioned this with the Dodgers, the Dodgers discussion, how they have a lot of wiggle room, you know, because they were starting from so high last year. This is the reverse. The Phillies bullpen has a lot of room to grow because last year they had the eighth highest bullpen ERA in the major league. So uh, almost like, uh, there's nowhere to go, but up. Uh,
0: one similarity between Soto Alvarado, Dave mentioned it too with when he was talking about Soto, they both pitch with guts they both bring it in that department they're not going to shy away so you know be looking forward to that lefty combination in the philly bullpen coming up here in 2023 all right so who is your top bullpen in the national league right now again a month away from spring training trades can still be made but if we look at it on paper right now second week of january who is the top bullpen in each of your eyes in the national league
1: Well, you got to, you know, I mean, you go back to front, right? And I I still say, you know, and and there's probably, you know, this guy's due for a little regression. But if you look at the Mets and and the year their closer had uh, and the resources that 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 team has because of their owner, they're probably not done as of yet. And even though you're going to subtract a couple of guys out of there, I, I still say the Mets are right there because of their closer. So, uh, and, and we're, we're not looking at a finished product as of yet because there's still time before spring training and even leading up to the trade deadline as well.
2: I'm going to stay in the National League East and I'm going to go with the Braves. Rysel Iglesias, AJ Minter, Colin McHugh, guys that they already had that I like a lot, uh, but picking up Joe Jimenez, uh, Lucas Litke, Kirby Yates even uh, could, uh, could be a nice comeback there. So uh, I'm going to go with Atlanta. I I'm keeping my eye uh, on the Cardinals because I
0: think they potentially they could have the dirtiest back end of the bullpen if guys like uh, Stratton and Palante they take another leap forward this year if you're able to you know pair them with Gallegos and and Helsley but again there's question marks there can can those two arms do it again um I so so my pick is definitely going to be in the National League East my 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 trendy pick, I guess you could say, would be the Cardinals, but I am going to go with Atlanta at the moment for all the reasons that that James was talking about. The depth stands out to me. I think they have a little bit more depth in the Mets. I believe neither bullpen is a finished product on January the 10th, so I'm really intrigued to see how the teams keep going in terms of how they address their, their relief course. But guys like Yates, Colin McHugh, Lucas Litke, James they're big for me as well and and the rotation for the Braves I think allows their arms to stay fresh better than most teams if not all teams in the National League so that's the reason why I'm gonna give the slight edge to the Braves at the moment but guys like these bullpens in the NL East they are on the rise here
1: yeah I'm I'm a big believer in Edwin Diaz I think he's gonna have another great year this year maybe not quite to the strikeout level that he had last year. But historically speaking, his strikeout numbers, his swing and miss numbers are off the charts, you know, like as good as anybody in the history of the game. But I will say this, it's a good point, James, that Rasiel Iglesias was the best move last year at the trade deadline. That trade and assuming his contract, he was nails for the Braves down the stretch and gave them uh, depth at the end of the game. He's a closer. He's a setup guy. He's willing to do anything. I love his attitude on the mound too. This guy's a gamer. And got big guts on the mound so iglesias was the best move in the bullpen of anybody last year
0: yeah the braves uh you know they're gonna they're gonna be operating without kenley jansen i don't know if they're gonna even skip a beat there uh, as he's off to boston but uh two two big moves that the mets did to support guy like edwin diaz brooks raley david robertson again the depth is so much deeper now for the mets heading into 2023 and i don't think they are done so we'll we'll see what happens a month away from from pitchers and catchers here all right guys let's get into our our yankees segment here and this um this is a different type of, set of yankees talk because we're really not addressing anything on the 26 man roster which is a change here uh last week the yankees made some headlines they brought in two very respected former general managers who've had track records of success and they both have a deep background in scouting. They brought in Brian Sabian, three-time World Series winning general manager with the San Francisco Giants. They also brought in Omar Minaya, who is a, a Queens native, one former Mets GM, former Expos GM. And this is an interesting topic because We've all heard the narrative in recent years like if you're a Yankee fan you've been told that there is a balance a healthy mixture between analytics and scouting in terms of decision making within the Yankees baseball operations department. So if there is that that mix there, the question is, what do these hires mean like is, are they shifting more toward the scouting angle are there going to be more voices that have the heavier scouting background? Are they going to be louder in the decision-making room? Um, If it's already been a mix of these two factions, analytics and scouting information, then what do two more highly respected veteran baseball people being in the fold, what does it mean for the Yankees baseball operations department?
1: Well, you know, I could just, I could tell you in my dealings with Brian Cashman and when I was interviewed for the pitching coach job a few, a few years ago, uh, the one of the, the things he told me in that interview was something that has stuck with me. And that is, that is, he always defers. He always says, look, the best thing I've done as general manager of the Yankees is hire well. I hire good people around me. And I, I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. And I'll never forget the way he phrased that, the way he said that. And it's really true. And this falls right in line. With that philosophy. These are two high quality people, Brian Sabian, and Omar Minaya, Omar Manaya, too, gives him a long reach in terms of networking through Latin America, through scouting, uh, through people relationships. So uh it, it just makes sense. It's not really about uh to me about the battle between Modern baseball and analytics and old school philosophy and scouting. I mean, all, both of these guys were general managers. They both understand all aspects of the game. They both have their roots in scouting. So yes, as far as uh, evaluating your own system, that's going to really help the Yankees having these two guys in place. And I think maybe if you look at the Yankees, some of the guys they've lost in the rule five drafts, whether it's Garrett Whitlock up, up to the rule five to Boston or or some other guys along the way, I think self-evaluating is one of the most important things you can do in your organization now and the yankees always seem to get plucked every year in the rule rule uh five draft and uh, the 40-man roster every roster spot is such a commodity nowadays so it's all the more important to protect those resources and when you bring in brian Sabian and omar Manaya that's going to help you in that category as much as anything else along with the fact that They've done just about everything in this game, from soup to nuts, from scouting to general manager. They understand every aspect of the game. Great hires by Brian Cashman. He continues to surround himself with the best people he can find, and uh, it, it makes sense. You know, I, I think I think uh, they're going to pay dividends. Both of those guys are going to pay big dividends for the Yankees.
2: Two smart guys join the organization. Can't be anything but a good thing. It's also kind of cool that uh, it's a little bit of a full circle moment for uh, for Brian Sabian who started off in the Yankees front office, Brian Cashman, way back in the 80s. And eventually he was uh, the longtime GM with the Giants. Um, but I'm with you, Coney. I think, uh, it, you know, it's a, these are great moves. And I do think the stats versus scouts war and, and all this, the, the you know, the controversy over the last few years, I feel like that's so overblown. And that in Major League Baseball in 2023, we don't need to be relitigating the battles from 20 years ago.
0: I think a lot of fans, and I'm guilty of it, too, in in certain aspects when I hear teams speak, whether it's players, executives, or whatever, you you want their answers to mean more. So when people ask, well, what roles are these two gentlemen going to have in the Yankees uh, baseball operations department, basically it was, oh, just, you know, another voice, another eye to have. Obviously, they have deep, respected backgrounds, they have a sharp track record, but that's what they are. I don't know if you you need to dig deeper than that. I think you just have two more respective voices in the room where they're making decisions. It's two other important opinions to lean on to have at your disposal. Brian Cashman always makes the analogy he needs to have every tool in the toolbox. Well, he just got two... Uh, you know, what Black and Decker uh, brand new appliances, you know, top of the line type type of uh, machines there. But yeah, I I think it, it could be as simple as that. That's what they have. They have two more widely respective uh, individuals in the baseball industry now under the Yankees brand. So I'm, I'm not sure it's uh, anything more than that for, for Yankees baseball operations. I will say this, though. We're about a month away from pitchers and catchers. And I think if you ask a lot of Yankee fans, they would have expected that left field would have been addressed by now within the Yankees off season. So again, three weeks to go until pitchers and catchers let's bring Dan work in here. Our fantastic producer, big time Yankee fan. If you haven't checked out his channel Yankees Avenue, please do so. It's terrific. And Dan may have been coming off a uh, a weekend of partying because he is uh, Elvis Presley disciple. It was the King's birthday over the weekend, so we may not have Dan at his most uh, sharpest, or his sharpest state here. But Dan, uh, from a Yankees fan perspective, are are we concerned? Are we a bit scared that left field has not been definitively addressed by the Yankees?
3: No, I wouldn't say I'm concerned, but I think there's two ways you can look at it. I mean, the Yankees' current lineup right now is good enough, I think, to win the AL East. But that's not like the big monkey on their back, right? It's the Houston Astros. So while I would love Brian Reynolds, want him very badly, if the Pirates are actually going to ask for Anthony Volpe, I, I can't say I blame the Yankees for not making that trade. So as it stands right now, you either have us Waldo Cabrera, you have Aaron Hicks. Now, Waldo definitely intrigues me because he somehow, and I didn't realize this until like a week ago, he, what, only played 300 innings in right field. He finished sixth among all American League right fielders in defensive runs saved, which is just nuts. And I know left field in the Yankee Stadium is like a different animal than right field, but I think he's definitely capable. And offensively, I mean, his overall numbers were definitely solid enough. I think he finished with like a 111 WRC plus in like 40 games. But from September 6th on, Oswaldo Cabrera had a 960 OPS with six home runs so the dude definitely can do it with the bat so at least to get you by until the deadline I think we're fine because once again this team that we have right now is still well not like maybe by a landslide I still consider them to be the favorite in the AL East It just you may have to reassess and I expect them to come deadline to to close the gap as much as possible
1: with
0: Houston David what do you think is the uh is the opening day left fielder for the Yankees on their current roster
1: Probably so at this point. And they could probably take it to the trade deadline if, if need be, if they really want to. Um, you know, th- th- obviously, you know, Oswaldo Cabrera came up and, and was a fan favorite. He, he provides so much energy. Aaron Hicks has the long-term deal. He still owed, I think, three more years on his deal. There, you got to give him another shot just to see what he looks like in spring training rather than just dump him at this point. Uh, the Yankees are waiting on outfielders to develop in their system. Uh, you know, whether it's Pereira that's coming up, maybe their top prospect is Florial finally going to get a chance. It doesn't look like they trust his swing and miss profile that he, that he swings and miss too much to, to 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 put him on an everyday role in the big leagues and put him in left field. I will say there's a couple of sleepers in camp that they've non-roster invitees. Uh, Rafael Ortega is a name to watch uh, a couple of years ago, had really good numbers with the Cubs uh, hit 290, 11 home runs, left-hander with some pop profiles that he might uh you know play up at Yankee Stadium he's due for a bounce back so uh, he might be an interesting guy to follow and, and maybe he can push his way in in spring training and show somebody something maybe there's a surprise there somewhere but you just get the feeling that they're waiting on Brian Reynolds whether that takes us to the trade deadline or even a you know at some point when he if he's going to be traded the Yankees are going to be there waiting for him and and obviously the acquisition cost is is the key for the Yankees and you know, the middle infield still the still the still the priority for me. Left field, we can work it out. You can kind of sit there for a while and wait. In left field, you got to figure out the middle infield part and whether Anthony Volpe is ready or not. Is he going to be given a legitimate shot in spring training? As as we've heard, we've heard Brian Cashman told him, hey. Coming to spring training ready, you're going to get a legitimate look. We've already seen Oswald Peraza. We know he's got some skills, and he he presented himself very well. So to me, that whole middle infield thing is really interesting. Uh, and what happens with the future of Glaber Torres as well? Glaber Torres with a bounce back year last year. Uh, what what's he going to look like in spring training? What's he going to look like this year? What type of year and numbers are is he going to put up? How does this whole middle infield thing shake down? To me, it's really the most important thing for the Yankees. Left field can wait for a minute right now and and see what happens with Brian Reynolds because Brian Reynolds is that good and he's that perfect of a fit for the Yankees that you kind of wait for him and and see if that takes you to the trade deadline or not. In the meantime, yeah, let's filter through some guys, some non-roster guys. Let's see if Hicks can rebound. Let's see if Oswaldo Cabrero looks like uh, he did last year. Give him a legitimate shot. Uh, But other than that, You know, I I think they're waiting on Brian Reynolds at this point, and however long that takes.
2: Thursday, March 30th at Yankee Stadium against the Giants opening day. I think the left fielder is going to be Oswaldo Cabrera against Logan Webb of the Giants, a right hander against the with Cabrera batting left handed there. So, uh, I think there weren't a whole lot of impact outfielders on the free agent market. I like Brandon Nimmo a lot. He went back to the Mets. The White Sox go five years, 75 million for Andrew Benintendi, which yeah, you know, it sounds a little steep. Um, beyond that, there weren't there. I don't know if there's anybody that the Yankees should have really gone out and uh, splurged on in free agency if, if you don't get those guys. So you could do worse than the Cabrera-Hicks platoon of sorts out, out in left field. Uh, Dan dropping the knowledge with uh, WRC+. Plus, uh, it was 111. If uh, OPS plus is your thing, uh, he was at 109. Moral of the story, Cabrera came up and he was an above average big league bat. And we saw what he could do in the field. The one thing with Cabrera is that he also has value moving all around the diamond as sort of uh, maybe this year he'll be like a better version of Marwin Gonzalez uh, from the 2022 uh, roster. So uh, Cabrera can fill in in a lot of different spots. Maybe that means he doesn't get, you know, 600 plate appearances on left field, but going to move around He can get a bulk of the starts in left at first and then see where you are at the deadline
0: play devil's advocate i could say hey what i saw from cabrera i liked i also liked what i saw in the first 40 games from greg bird and mike ford when they were coming up um at at the same time his uh his versatility really sticks out so yeah if it's not left field he may be Part of the answer to what David's trying to figure out with the middle infield, we'll we'll, we'll wait and see. It's a good problem to have in regards to uh, Cabrera. In, in in that respect, you mentioned Rafael Ortega. If you haven't listened to Talking Yanks from last week, Jimmy and Jake they went a little deeper into some of these uh, candidates that the Yankees brought in that could be looked at as like terrific minor league depth at AAA. But Ortega, I think they were were saying how he could be a candidate that would really benefit from playing at Yankee stadium. And I'm not saying that he is the answer and he's going to get some run here as the potential left fielder, but they were, you know, looking at numbers and park factors and stuff like that. And I think he would have hit like six more home runs had his games been at, at Yankee stadium. Um, So yeah, he does have some pop. That's the one that's probably the most intriguing. James, you were mentioned mentioning some free agents that are still out there. I don't know if they're necessarily as in love with a guy like jerks and Profar as they were in the past. We always heard them link to uh, that name in the past. He's still out there. What could he command? Maybe maybe they could bring him in if it's a friendly dollar amount in their eyes. Who knows? But uh, at this point, yeah, I'm going to lean into the fact that that left fielder is probably in-house right now. When we look toward opening day against Logan Webb and the giants who maybe he has his extension, James, who knows? Um, (laughs) But, yeah, if, if I had to guess right now, I would pick Oswaldo Cabrera as the opening day uh, left fielder for the Yankees. Dan, would that, that – that would be okay with you? You're the biggest Yankee fan I know.
2: Oswaldo so Cabrera you've
0: Yeah, you've leapfrogged a lot of, you know, friends of mine and stuff. You are by far the number one Yankee fan I know. So, would that be okay for you?
3: Yeah, I mean –
0: yeah, no, totally. I mean, I'm always looked at,
3: I feel like, as an irrational Yankee fan. Regular season-wise, that's not so much the case. I mean, like I'm totally content rolling him out there. It's just October, is he going to be good enough or not? Because, I mean, the team you put out on opening day doesn't have to be the team you put out on October. We all know that, obviously. So, cool with it. It's just, you know, like we've all been saying, reassess at the deadline. If he's been good, great. Maybe you keep him there. If not, then maybe you can try and get Brian Reynolds again. But I'm cool with it. I like Waldo. though. He's very easily, easy to like and easy to root for. He's got a good smile and a, he's a good player. So
0: I like you describing them. yourself, man. <laughs>
1: <Nah>. <laughs> Speed and defense is a premium this year. And that's that. just, we don't know really as far as the new rules, how they're going to play. The new schedule, the new rules, base stealing, how much, uh, how much is it going to be up this year? Only two pickoffs to first base, bigger bases, a lot to factor in here. Playing defense is a big deal too. So yeah, speed and, and defense are are at a premium this year. Oswaldo Cabrera has both of those.
3: Yeah, he's a part of another reason why I'm really excited for this team is because like the athleticism as a whole, I mean, not only are you are going to get Oswaldo Cabrera potentially for a full season, Anthony Volpe for full season, three-fourths of the season, full season to Harrison Bader too. So like the overall team, I mean, you talk about the jump from athleticism from 21 to 22, kind of almost the same jump last year, this year as well, with like the young kids and a full season of Bader. So
0: one last thing before we leave here, because, David, you just brought up the new rules, the emphasis on speed and athleticism. How much more should we be paying attention to spring training battles? Let's go beyond beyond the Yankees here. How much uh, does that need our attention when we take a, a look at the Grapefruit League games and the Cactus League games?
1: I think we watch it closely, without a doubt. I think that's probably what um... – some of the Yankees prospects are going to really pay dividends for the Yankees. Oswald Peraza, great minor league numbers running the bases. Anthony Volpe, great minor league numbers running the bases, stolen base numbers. Oswaldo Cabrera, same thing. So you have this mixture of all-around ball players that the Yankees have been bringing along for a while now. And, you know, I, I think it's time to pay dividends. That, to me, it's, it's sort of linked – to what they do with middle infield and what the future at third base is you know it's obvious that they're committed to josh donaldson at least for now but at some point this is probably his last year as a yankee or how long the, you know how long you know uh, whether he can rebound or not this year in the first half of the year so it's not only up the middle it's really the whole infield other than rizzo at first it's like what's this going to look like in the future does does Volpe really plug in at second base? Does Peraza really the shortstop of the future? What about third base? How do you mix this thing up to me is the most important feature for the Yankees. Now, Josh Donaldson's got to hit the ball a long way to, to be valuable. We know his defense was good last year, gold glove caliber, but he need he needs to hit the ball out of the ballpark to, to provide value because he provides no value running the bases in, in terms of base running. So yes. Can he bounce back? And what's the future at third base as well. To me, it's on the infield with the Yankees. That That's the most important thing going on right now because the prospects are here knocking on the door and we're going to see him in spring training.
0: Will some of these questions be answered before spring training or in spring training? I think for the Yankees and their fans, that's what they are wondering right now here in the second week of January. Hey guys, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, enjoy the nfl playoffs i don't even know if the chiefs are playing this weekend are they, are they like what seed what seed are the chiefs <laughs> here david are they they, they have a bye or they they got a buy they got the top one. Seed? okay they
1: got the top seed
0: okay so if you didn't believe me at the very beginning of the episode i have not watched nfl football <laughs> this entire year uh it, so yeah we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy the first round of the playoffs so we'll keep an eye on what's going on with the baseball hot stove that is going to do it For this episode, again, please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you do not miss a beat of what we are streaming each and every week. For David, for James, and our excellent producer, Dan Rourke, this is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media.